We step back into the Gospel of Mark this morning, and we're going to continue that journey walking with Jesus. But we're going to put a bit of a spin on our next several weeks in the Gospel of Mark. We will study passages in the Gospel of Mark. We will continue to walk with Jesus. But we're going to give it a spin. We're going to make it the Christmas edition. So we often, during the Christmas season, will study these themes that surround Christmas. That is, these themes that, that seem to come to the surface with the birth of Jesus. And what I want to do is I want to take some of those themes that we might study uh, at, around Christmas, and I want to go ahead and just map them on top of the Gospel of Mark and see if we can learn something from a different angle in the passages we look at. I tend to think that the scriptures are always connected in this unified story that leads us to Jesus. And so, it shouldn't be too tough to look at a passage of Mark, to walk with Jesus in the next several weeks, and then to take a turn, almost like putting a set of lenses on to see Christmas, what we could learn in the Christmas season from that passage, from that, that, that short journey we might take with Jesus in whatever passage we're in. So we're going to do the Gospel of Mark, Christmas edition. We'll see how that works. If it's a flop, pick your favorite enemy and blame them for how bad this goes, okay? So just uh, put that on your radar. So, uh, George, if you get blamed, I'm so sorry, okay? All right. I don't know whose enemy you are, but just know, all right, it was your fault. Let's, let's walk into now Mark chapter 7. We're going to pick up right on the heels of the story of a woman, a, uh, the Syrophoenician woman who had a daughter sick. She came to Jesus begging that her daughter would be healed, that a demon would be removed from her daughter's body. This being a woman, a non-Jewish woman in Jesus, Jesus honors her request. Something we wouldn't expect. Jesus was working outside the box here. And so from that story, we step into another story. We have Jesus traveling and moving around, and then he comes into contact with another person right on the heels of that Syrophoenician woman. That's where we pick up, Mark chapter 7. We're going to be right there, verse 31, and we'll go to 37. And this is what we read, Mark recording the story. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre, and he went through Sidon, down to the Sea of Galilee, and into the region of the... Uh, the, the um, why am I missing that word? The Decapolis. I'm so sorry. I'm thinking about my first point. Probably should think about reading. The Decapolis. There are some people, uh, there were some people brought to him, a man who was deaf, and he could hardly talk. And they begged Jesus to place his hand on him. And after he took him aside, away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears, and then he spit, and he touched the man's tongue. He looked at heaven, and with a deep sigh said to him, Apaphratha, which means be opened. At this, the man's ears were open, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak plainly. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone, but the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well. They said, he even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Now, when we come into this story and we come into this region of this 10 cities, I want us to understand that we've already been here in the Gospel of Mark. This is not the first time we have showed up 
in this region of ten cities, the Decapolis. This is not our first rodeo in this region, in this particular area of this region in Palestine. What we want to understand is that the last time we were here, we saw a man with a thousand demons get healed. Those demons were removed. This demon, these demons called legion. Take a look. I just want to put you back in Mark chapter 5 and take a look at where we ended that story in this region. We read there where Mark recorded, Mark 5, 18 and 19. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and he began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and all the people were amazed. Now, interesting note here, just side note, we often talk about how Jesus told the disciples, come and follow me. Here, Jesus didn't let this man go and follow him. His calling was to stay and tell. So sometimes Jesus gives different callings to different people. We may not want to universalize that call the disciples had, because here we see Jesus say, stay. Now, this man does stay, and what does he do? He tells everyone in the region about what Jesus had done uh, for him. Now, several chapters later, Jesus shows back up into this region, and it is rich soil. It is rich soil for the good news to be proclaimed again. Now, when he showed up the first time, everybody's saying, get away. They don't know what to do with this man who just did this major miracle. Now he shows up in the region again after this man, this man who had, healed of, who had been healed of demons. He shows up, and all of a sudden now, people are bringing the sick, the lame, those in need to Jesus. This is a radical change from where we began in this region. And so we see Mark, Mark here places the story to show us the scope of the ministry of Jesus. It now is going well beyond anything we might have expected as we started into this gospel, this record of Jesus' life. And here, Mark, what he wants to do is he wants to highlight not only a rich ground, rich soil for the kingdom to insert itself again. He wants to highlight for the first time a miracle, the healing of a deaf and a mute person. Up to this point, we've not seen that miracle. We've seen a lot. Mark has recorded several accounts. But here, Mark now highlights this one miracle. Now, I'm sure there were more miracles done in this region during this time of Jesus in this area. But Mark picks this one to highlight. That's because Mark is wanting to continue to pull us, the readers, to the cross. where He wants us to get to the point where we are seeing the full scope of what Jesus is doing. And here now, he highlights a miracle never yet recorded in his gospel. And what's happening is, as he talks about these, the, this person who is both deaf and mute, this miracle, these two conditions are going to map onto Old Testament prophecies, that there would be a day when this would happen. And so when you hear about Deaf people hearing and mute people speaking, it calls to mind those promises in the Old Testament, particularly Isaiah, where God's going to do a new work. Now, I'm not going to go back into Mark 7, go deep into the start of Mark 7, but in Mark chapter 7, where we currently are wrapping up in this message, 
Jesus quotes from Isaiah 29. It it is no coincidence that Mark records Jesus quoting uh, Isaiah 29. And in Isaiah 29, we see near the end a healing, a promised healing of deaf and mute people. And so what I think Mark's doing is he's tipping us off that something's happening in the life of Jesus that is going to scale globally. This is going to be a big deal. And so there's promises made back in the Old Testament that are beginning to come true, and people are, their excitement is going to grow. Take a look. I want you to see, we're going to look at Mark, uh, Isaiah 29. I want you to see the promise that I think Mark has in mind as he records the last part of chapter 7. Mark, uh, Isaiah 29, 17 and 18. In a very short time, will not Lebanon be turned into a fertile field, and the fertile field seem like a forest? In that day, the deaf will hear the words of the scroll, and out of gloom and darkness, the eyes of the blind will see. Here, Isaiah has a vision that God will, in the day he brings rescue, you're going to start seeing deaf people hearing. You're going to see blind people begin to see. Now, what's going to happen in Isaiah is that small section of a promise is going to get built out. So Isaiah is just going to keep talking about this promise, and he kind of goes through a cycle of judgment and promise, cycle and judgment. And this section of Isaiah culminates. It's going to, it's going to, it's going to crescendo in chapter 35, Isaiah 35, where we see that promise come to a full exposure. Take a look, Isaiah 35, he's going to pull the promise. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Then the eyes of the blind will be open and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue Shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. These are promises that people would have had in their bodies, in their minds. They were looking for a day when these kind of things were happening. Up to this point, Mark does not record any deaf person or any mute person being healed. And here all of a sudden, in this region, we hear about a deaf and mute person now, both hearing and speaking. And you know what the people, you know what the people see when all of this happens? You know what they call to mind? They call to mind how amazing this miracle is. And it's no surprise that Mark pulls from the crowd, the words he pulls from the crowd to put in writing the very things we would expect him to put in light of these prophecies from Isaiah. They probably said a lot of stuff. But the things that caught their attention was how close what just happened matched the promises from Isaiah. So I want to remind you, verse 37, exactly what the crowd said. I want to pull it from the New Living Translation because I think it gets the sense of the text. They were completely amazed and said, what? Again and again, everything he does is wonderful. He even makes the deaf to hear and gives speech to those who cannot speak. This is Mark's way of tipping us off as the readers that the people notice something special has happened. That promises made long ago were now beginning to come true. 
So I want you to see that Mark wants us, the readers, to see something special is happening in the ministry of Jesus, and we are seeing the enlargement of the scope of what Jesus is doing on earth. Now, let's take all that now, and let's map that, let's link that to Christmas. So we'll now do a Christmas edition. How does all of this link up with Christmas? In Christmas, a big theme for Christmas is that God is with us. And I think that this story, this, this account of the life of Jesus has a lot to teach us about what it means for God to be with us in Jesus. And I think the key, the key we want to start with is this, God is present in the mess of real life. I think that is key to what it means for God to be with us. That great theme that we kind of roll over and over again every time we come into the Christmas season, God with us, what that looks like in the life of Jesus is that God is present in the mess of real life, ordinary life, messy life. That's where he is. So this had to be this way. If we go back to one of those great prophecies, that great promise that God was going to do something, it's that one of those great Easter, or Easter, I don't know where I'm at. I guess I'm, I'm already all the way up into April. Uh, we might be done with Mark by then. Um, is if, if we take one of those great passages that we read every Christmas, I want you to see that when you read that passage, in light of this truth, I don't know if it could have been any other way. Take a look, Isaiah 9, 6, you know the passage. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now, we love those last couple lines. Man, those are good, and they go well into some hymns, and we sing them loud. But notice how the prophecy begins. A child will be born. There's nothing clean about the birth of a child. There's nothing, there's nothing organized and predictable in the birth of a child. And once that child continues to grow, there's nothing, nothing that makes that an easy process. Child and messy go together. And that's, that's the kind of God we have. A God who will insert himself into the world through a child. He will not do this from a distance. So let me just put that into a couple, a few lines that maybe can say it more concisely. Let's look at it this way. Looking at Isaiah 9-6, the fact he'd send a child, God didn't heal the deaf and mute from a distance. And he didn't rescue his people remotely. He wasn't sending a text message in order to cause a rescue. God did send a child into the mess of real life to bring heaven to earth. That's the way God's going to do this. And we know he's going to do it this way all the way from Isaiah 9-6. That he's going to send a child, and a child means God's going to get messy. He's going to be in it with us. That's what it means for God to come into the world as a child. It's a big deal. Because most of the time, we're thinking things happen remotely. And in our day, where so much can be done remotely, we need to remember God didn't choose to do these things from a distance. He didn't choose to just speak it and in abstract things happen. No, God got into the mess. He came as a child. Now, that child grows up. 
And he starts to do things that amaze people. He, he begins to do things like take his fingers and put it in people's ears, spitting on the ground, moving the mud together, and then touching a human tongue. What's the last time you touched someone's tongue? Yeah, you don't do that. And maybe you've put your finger in someone's ear, but you did it to get a rise, right? Because that's just gross. That's what you're hoping they'll understand, right? Yeah, it's all pretty annoying. And yet here we see, we see in this case, we see this child who's come into the world, now grown up. We see him getting literally messy. So take, I want to say it like this. Let's say it this way. If we're looking at this miracle in Mark 7 where we began, this is a messy miracle. Fingers and ears, fingers touching a tongue. But here he is, the Messiah, wonderful counselor, mighty God, present in the mess of real life. That's where we find him. And that's a really big deal. That's a really big deal. Because often we see God as somehow outside of our lived experience. No, God is right here. He's right here. And Jesus here is getting messy. And I think we might miss how messy Jesus is getting in this moment if we don't remember that he's taking real fingers and putting them in real dirty ears and really spitting on the ground and then touching a human tongue full of all those germs and bacteria of someone that others didn't want to be around. This is messy. So we need to understand that when we talk about God with us, we're talking about fingers and ears and fingers on tongues. We're talking about God getting messy in real life. So we need to understand that. That's, that's what I would say is the Christmas edition of what it means for God to be with us. So we want to take all of that, and I want to just get it into some application. i got kind of two directions I want to take the application. Two directions. We'll take the next step based on the second one. Take a look here. First application I want to pull on this is that we recognize that God is still present in the mess of our real lives now. Now, when you walk into a Christmas season, we all carry with us fears, expectations, hopes, joys, celebrations. We kind of carry a whole range of emotions, don't we? Because some of you don't like your family, and you're not looking forward to what that looks like come Christmas time. Some of you are trying to avoid a trip or avoid them coming to you, and you're just trying to figure out how to navigate that. Some of you really like being with your family, and you're like really looking forward to it. And if it doesn't go the way that, it go, that you want it to go, you're going to be really upset. Some of you have presents to buy, and you don't like buying presents. Some of you love buying presents, but you're really scared that you're not going to get the right present. You see that we bring all of this mess into the Christmas season, and it can be very messy. And there are even friends among us. I think of like Bill and Laura Conover, right? I think of Ebby and Jesse Spence. I think of people that you have as dear friends. These are people that we know that are very sick or they're struggling with a loved one being sick. And so when you walk into the Christmas season, there can be a lot of sadness. And you're wondering where hope is. You see, we bring all of that here. And sometimes when we sing these wonderful songs of Christmas and put up beautiful trees, we think this Christmas is supposed to always look perfect. It's supposed to be like Norman Rockwell. Like everything's supposed to be good. And that's what Hallmark and the Hallmark Channel would hope that we would understand and experience. But that's often not what Christmas ends up being. It's full of a lot of mess. 
Some of our loved ones or dear friends are sick. Sometimes there's conflict as we walk into the house on Christmas Day. All kinds of things that are going on. But sometimes all that perfect makes us think that's where God is. God's just kind of in the perfect world. Like God lives in the Hallmark Channel. That's where God lives. He lives in the happy ending. But what this story in Mark 7 and what the Christmas edition would teach us is that God is, God is still with you when you make a bad choice, a bad purchase for a gift for a loved one. Or he's with you when you walk into the house and you don't like certain family members. He's with you. He has not left you. When you are crying on Christmas Eve because of the loss of a loved one or because you miss someone that you can't be with, God is with you as you cry. That's okay. I just want you to understand that he's with you in the celebration and when all things seem to be perfect, but God is with you when it's really messy too. So you remember that. This is the mighty God, wonderful counselor, who still puts fingers in people's ears and touches human tongues. He will still get messy. He does not run away from that. So I want you to remember that and recognize that now, now. A second application is this. We follow the way of Jesus by being present with the people God puts in our lives. The way of Jesus is to be present with the very people in front of you. Can you imagine what would have happened if Jesus would have been on his smartphone and had a really important text or email to send and just passed this guy right by? We would never have had this record. But instead, Jesus was present in all of the messiness in front of him. And so that means that as students of Jesus... As we learn to live the life he would live if he were us, that means you and I need to be present wherever we find ourselves. Now, this gets, this gets on the ground because we often don't want to be present wherever we are, right? So I know, it, let's say you're a teenager. Let's just say you're a teenager, hypothetically, or those that are really teenagers, you get into Christmas Day, you've opened your presents, a lot of family's over, it gets really boring, and so what do we do? We go right into the world of Snapchat, or maybe Instagram, maybe Facebook, and we can disconnect ourselves. Some of you, you might turn on a bowl game. Let's just get out of our real world and move right into the world of football, and we disengage. Now, I got, there's nothing wrong with turning on a football game. There's nothing wrong with Snapchat, that is, engaging that platform. There's nothing wrong with Instagram. It's when you cross that line of disengaging. It's when you want to move away from the people in front of you because it's too uncomfortable, it's boring, or they're just awkward. You know, there are all kinds of reasons why we disengage. The way of Jesus would call us this Christmas, to be like Jesus, which means you are present with the people in front of you. We need to be that. That's the way, that's where we need to go here, I think. And that's, that's going to be a tough one. That's a tough one because we're well trained on how to disengage. Let me take this to a next step. So let's take the second application, push it into a next step, something you can do. Be present where you are, which, by the way, is right here. 
and I mean here, in this room. Like I, I, I don't want to. Let's not. I don't want to like go high on some metaphor. I mean literally where your body is. Be where you are. That's where God is. I don't know how God can be with you where you're not, if He's with you. He can't be with you, with you, if you're not there. That's like going to the movies with your spouse or friend and them not being there. You work that one out. What would that be like? Like, hey, Tess was at home all day and I went to the movie with her. What, what does that mean? I don't even know. Often, we, we create dreams of God being with us where we want to be. So here's a reminder. Here's a reminder. Let's put that last one up. A reminder, God is with you where you are, not where you want to be. We often don't want to be in an awkward situation with our family members or our friends. We don't want to be bored, and so we often think God might be somewhere else. God is with you right where you are. That means that when you come to that temptation to disengage, even today, as we move into a Christmas season, when you get to that point where you're like, I might just check Instagram because my kids, I'm, I'm done. I'm over my kids. Okay? What, what you do is instead of disengaging into Instagram, live in the messiness of all of that disobedience, all of that boredom, all of that, all of that repetition that goes along with raising kids. Just be there with it. Okay? So there are different ways that you can be present. Now, I don't know what your temptation is. I don't know how you disengage. But don't go into a fantasy world where you think God is somewhere else. God is with you right where you are. You don't have to wonder. If you want to know where God is with you, he's right where you are in that moment. Because that's the only place God can be with you. So be there and be present. And so what happened with Jesus in that miracle was God was with him. This man, this, this deaf and mute man, God was with him in all the mess. So why don't you and I follow that way, and why don't we walk the way of Jesus into all the mess? Because most Christmas seasons, it, most Christmas seasons have it. But God will be there. He couldn't be anywhere else. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for this time that we get to study your word. Thank you for the account that Mark gives us. We thank you that promises that you made centuries before started to come true in the life of your son. And thank you that you were willing to come as a child. Then grow up, mighty God, wonderful counselor. And that you are the kind of God that would put fingers and ears and touch human tongues. That you would get messy with us. Thanks for not leaving us when we are annoying, when we are awkward, when we disobey, when we're mean. Thanks for sticking with us. And we thank you as we walk into the Christmas season that we can come to know your son Jesus. And as his students, we learn his way more and more. And that would be the goal. Have a lot of grace with us. And would you take care, please take care of our loved ones and our friends that are sick, even today. Would you give them a special, a special 
dose, just a special covering of peace, even at this hour. We pray that all in the name of our wonderful counselor, mighty God, Prince of Peace, Jesus, and together we say, amen.